It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. All right. All right. Welcome in. We had a little bit of a break up there on the internet. Welcome to JC and Morgan. It is another installment. It is number 218 if you're scoring at home. He is JC Sherbert donning the UNLV visor in honor of their great start. He is in Chicago. I am here in the mecca of college football in Atlanta. And if you're watching us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, you know that I use a different stadium backdrop each and every week. In the immortal words of one Brent Musburger, who is actually still alive, uh, you are looking live at Yeoman Stadium in the heart of New Orleans, the campus of Tulane, where the mighty Green Wave have uh, continued to win. And right now would actually be that that uh, New Year's Day 6 and eventually Group 5 uh, wild card, if you will, to get in. What a job that the Green Wave are, are doing there. Yeoman Stadium, which was built about 10 years ago. For years and years, they played in front of about... 60,000 empty seats in the Superdome. Before that, they played in historic Tulane Stadium, which hosted three Super Bowls, ironically enough. Uh, the Cowboys, the Chiefs, and the Steelers all won a Super Bowl in New Orleans at the old Tulane Stadium. We got lots to talk about, and uh, as always, we encourage you to check us out on every forum out there. We know most of you do the audio version only. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, for the uh, those of you that want to see our smiling faces, you can, as I mentioned, check us out on a, a number of platforms, including YouTube. Also check out the website, jcandmorgan.com. It's going to be a busy show. Later on at uh, about 10.15, we'll have Tim Brando, so we're going to be moving mighty fast through this uh, opening segment. The JC5 will kick in uh, in a few moments. Uh, the morale of a great nation, as always, relies heavily on that interest rates tend to, uh, well, currently they keep going up. But we believe eventually the morale of the great nation and the morale of the JC5 will actually help uh, a once thriving economy and turn things around and also make everybody just feel overall good about their station in life, and that's what it's all about, bringing smiles to people's faces. JC, we got a lot to uh, dive into this weekend nationally. Um I I I was I love when there's a great slate of games early. Like I I, I get everybody wants to be prime time, and a lot, most fans prefer prime time. Um, if for nothing else, it gives you a chance to, to tailgate longer. And people believe at certain places the crowds are are better at night. You can kind of <laughs> take your own guesses as to why that might be. Alcohol certainly plays a role, but. My morning routine for as, I mean, since I was a teenager, right, was to tune into game day. Now, back then, it was only like an hour when it first started. In fact, Tim Brando, our guest, was the original host. We'll ask him about that. Uh, and then get to noon and then, you know, start watching games. And then eventually, you know, working games and calling games, you don't always get to, to do that. Um, but if you're working a night game, you still get to see the 12 o'clock game. And if you're just a fan, man, that 12 o'clock game. So we know what, like, Fox and the Big Ten have done, 
you know, they're they're trying to make that a big thing. And thankfully, Michigan's finally playing somebody. Sorry, Justin, our residential Michigan fan. Uh, with Penn State, that's going to be like the big noon kickoff. But we're starting to have better and better noon games. Like the Ole Miss Texas A and M game was was fantastic. You know, we we've had some good games to start. A, so I like that. I, I know a lot of people bag on the noon kickoff. I like a good noon game to get things started. We had that. We had good games all the way throughout the night. We've got news. We've got Lincoln Riley firing firing coordinators. I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million more. For a struggling head coach, when you fire a coordinator in the middle of the season, that's your get-out-of-jail-free card. It's kind of an act of desperation. Sam Pittman might say it worked and helped Arkansas beat Florida. I don't know if it's going to do much for Lincoln Riley and the Trojans, who clearly don't have any interest in playing defense. Oklahoma fans are probably saying, yeah, that's the same thing that happened here for (laughs) a long, long time. Uh, Bama's still Bama. Georgia's still Georgia. Bedlam was terrific. It, in the final one, we think I don't. I don't think that's going to be the final one. I think eventually, uh, smarter heads will prevail on that, and they'll find a way to to play that at least every few years. Uh, Dabo and his boys brought their own guts, and Notre Dame continues to just kind of flounder. I don't know. It's Marcus Freeman's second year. What are you excited about, Notre Dame fans, when it comes to Marcus Freeman? Uh, Prime loses another one, four and five, one and five, could lose the next three. Michigan, as I mentioned, will finally play somebody. Lots to get into. And with all that being said, JC, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it was a heck of, heck of a weekend uh, of games, I, I thought. And, uh, you know, you're right about the early games. I, I, normally, the Nooners, you know, you have the, the big noon kickoff with Fox. And, and that's normally Big Ten. Sometimes it's Big 12. It was a Texas and Kansas State. This past weekend, that was a heck of a ball game, right? Uh, just like Arkansas, Florida, and just like A and M, Ole Miss, uh, going right down to the wire. Clemson, Notre Dame was noon, so that that was that was kind of fun for me. I was I was texting with somebody, a friend of mine, and he was like, "I've got four different screens going at once." Yeah, no, he was a Notre Dame fan, but watching uh, a bunch of different games, so that was. Uh, that was pretty outstanding uh, this weekend, but uh, you know, a lot, lots of surprise. You know, I, I don't know about surprising results, uh, but a lot of teams, uh, I, I would say, especially in that early slot, got up off the mat on Saturday. It almost made Mike like Georgia and Missouri, uh, and, and not Alabama, LSU necessarily, but Georgia, Missouri. That that middle, it was such a good slate of noon games. The middle part for me of the day was a little anticlimactic. Now, Georgia, yeah. Missouri, Missouri, Georgia was a good ball game. Don't get me wrong. But normally you have a game like that, you know, the SEC doubleheader on CBS and both have major division implications. Uh, you're kind of sitting around at noon waiting on uh, those, those two to start. But th- that wasn't the case. Uh, the case uh, Somebody in our chat box mentions uh, the 4 and one game contest on YouTube TV. That's what, that's what he was watching. I love uh, it, but you don't get to pick the games, right? I don't, yeah. You know. uh, so I have it. I have Comcast, which is like being in an abusive relationship. I, <laughs> I, I might as well like write my check every month to Ike Turner, uh, and then I and then I have YouTube as well, and I love the, the the quad box. But I wish you could pick the games for the quad box. YouTube, if you're listening, work on that, please. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, be a little more user friendly. But yeah, so fun get fun day and. Uh, 
Got more big ones this week as this uh, playoff picture keeps t- taking shape. And uh, right below the top four or five, I mean, or seven maybe, uh, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, we've said many times, should if there were a 12-team playoff this year, it would be amazing, you know, the drama and everything going down the stretch. But uh, uh, unfortunately, it's still four, but it's still going to be a good a good finish, a November to remember, if you will. So uh, can't wait to get it going. Yeah, I in terms of the, the the big picture, this could work out as clean as it ever has in the four team playoff era. If if uh, Georgia wins out, Florida State wins out, and Washington wins out, because then the winner of Michigan Ohio State is is automatically in, and so you've got you got four of your your power conferences all represented uh, represented and. And you've you know it's clean. They're all undefeated. The committee's not going to take a one loss over an undefeated. They're not going to do it. This poll that's going to happen tomorrow, you know, they'll probably now that Georgia's played somebody stronger, and that was as you mentioned a, you know, a three thirty game. A lot of people saw it. So Georgia could easily leapfrog Ohio State to number one. Uh, but, but again, it doesn't matter. The, the order of it just doesn't. If you look at the history of that poll, when did it start? You know, six seven years ago. I remember being at a launch party here in Atlanta, the first one, and Texas A&M made the top four, and that was not a great Texas A&M team. Remember, that was that was uh, uh, the old school Texas A&M, and I don't I don't even think that was a, that was not a Manziel year, but they got off to a, a, a decent start, and then they uh, quickly uh, faded into oblivion. But um, it could work out that way, but it rarely does. What's going to make this really interesting and gut-wrenching for the committee is if Washington stubs its toe or Florida State stubs its toe uh, or Georgia. (laughs) They could really make things interesting if Georgia stubs its toe. Then all of a sudden you've got got a bunch of really good one-loss resumes that you're going to have to to siphon through, and that's when – uh, the madness gets crazy, and that's when people will really relish a 12-team playoff because the team that gets left out or a couple of teams that get left out will really have a strong case. Exactly, and that's uh, – I, I don't know that the committee – I mean, the, the football playoff committee's never had to deal with that. I mean, they, they've had a couple of here and there where, you know, they'll they'll put a team in and there's some controversy. That team normally at least gets to the championship game, you know. Uh, you know, TCU last year, as an example, at Ohio State, the first year they had it, won the whole thing as a, a four seed. The seeds don't really matter or haven't mattered. Uh, Alabama got in, I think, as a four seed in 17 and won it. So, uh, you know, but but decipher, but they've never really had a situation, Mike, where they've had to choose between like four or five one loss uh, teams. Um, and that that's going to get pretty chaotic. I don't envy them. Uh, and I have no faith that they'll, you know, have a solution because it's almost impossible to have a solution that everybody says, oh, okay, that makes sense. Right. Uh, when you're dealing with a sport, which contains a lot of apples to oranges comparisons and things like that. So that's, that's a, that's a great way to phrase it. It's a, it's a complete apple. It's not the NFL. It's, it's an apples and oranges comparison and there is no right answer. Uh, you mentioned that Alabama team. That's the one where the Joel Klatz of the world uh, went scorched earth on the committee, 
and told you how the SEC has bias and everything else, and then Alabama then you know toasted two opponents in route to another national championship uh, for for Nick Saban. <clears throat> but I I uh, I'll be very curious how it how it shakes out in uh, these last few weeks. We've got some really good matchups coming up. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. That usually is the case. But between Michigan, Penn State this coming Saturday, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Georgia takes on Ole Miss. That is juicy now. That is really juicy. Uh, give Lane Kiffin and the Rebels credit what they've been able to do this year. Um, they don't have a great defense, but you know maybe it's good enough. I don't know. I, I think anybody that's going to beat Georgia has got to have – a puncher's chance, and by that mean they've got to be able to put points on the board offensively. You can't win it like the old 9-6 Alabama-LSU games. Speaking of which, Alabama-LSU once again uh, lived up to the hype. What a, what a football game. I mean, what a nightcap. And again, I mean, we talked about this a month ago. Who was the best one-loss team? For my money then, it was Alabama. For my money now, it's even more so Alabama because they have figured out how to use Jalen Milrow, and Jalen Milrow has gained confidence. The defense is your typical Saban salty defense. They've got just enough weapons in the backfield and and on the perimeter, but Milrow, he's just different. I mean, we've seen great running quarterbacks before, but he's a true sprinter, at, and at his size, like Cam Newton wasn't a sprinter. Cam Newton was just a good, tough runner who absorbed contact and got tough yards. This dude, his straight line speed's insane. He had a play in that LSU game where he's running left in the red zone and he's faking like a little pass on the flat, and he stops on a dime and just whoo, straight shot, and he looks like he's running about a four-two-forty. He looks like Forrest Gump uh, when when Gump is returning the kickoff and still got robbed for the All-American, uh, AP All-American return team. It certainly should have been on that, but that's a whole other – that's a flaw in the movie. We can move past it. Uh, but Milrow now is he, – he's at a different level. And this is – again, this is the scary thing for everybody out there, including the eventual opponent in Atlanta, which I still think will be Georgia now more than ever. Um, you, you've got a confident Milrow and – Alabama, it's not their strongest team, but they don't have a lot of weaknesses either. So I think that'll be a fun. But that was a that was a really well played game. Yeah, those guys that could do that, like Milrow did, man, they are against a great defense. And Georgia, it's not as a dominant of a defense as it has been, but it's it's one of the best in college football. There's still no doubt. I mean, they they still play defense in Athens. Uh, that's the type of guy, I guess, a defense like that. It's big, athletic, and aggressive. That can be an equalizer all day long. And all week long, twice on Sunday. I mean, he – and I said at the beginning of the year when it, it kind of leaked out he was going to get the job over two guys that are probably, if you lined them up, better passers. I said if Jalen Milrow can get at least – be, they can just at least have a respectable passing game. And, and Tommy Reese, though, see, it's up to him to kind of design – to call plays around Milrow's strengths and weaknesses. Not sure he did that early. Uh, they're all kind of feeling their way. But if he can get some kind of passing game – because of his ability to run, it's it's so dangerous, Mike. Because I mean, he came in against Arkansas last year, uh, and Arkansas was coming back, and uh, I guess uh, you know Bryce Young had gotten hurt. And he goes around the edge for like a seventy-nine yard touchdown, and you're right, just left everybody. <laughs> and uh, that guy, when he turns the Jets on, is dangerous, and that's that yeah. that type of quarterback. 
uh, in the college game especially, is a great, great equalizer. You're, you're right because you always say, because you, you're a quarterback dude, that you have to be able to pass, and you're absolutely right these days. You can't just line – the days of the Pat White – uh, West Virginia uh, offense, or it probably would not work as well. But um, with him, they're getting enough in the passing game, and then that opens up so much because uh, it's just another it's another thing that can blow up in your face if you're a defense. I mean, you cover everything; you have everything covered, and then this guy gets loose. You know, the band's playing. So, yeah. Oh, he's he's. Uh... He is, and he's just good enough throwing. Like he had one, he missed a surefire touchdown where he might as well just hit the bull to use a Bull Durham reference. And you're like, well, how in the world did you miss that throw? He's wide open. He's going to have some of those. He ju- he just is. Uh, but he also, you have to respect his his passing ability. He does have an arm, and uh, uh, I think overall Alabama right now is a team you just you don't want to mess with. One one pack note. Uh, Southern Cal, I kind of teased this at, at the at the top. They fired Alex Grinch. They gave up 52 points in a loss to Washington. You know, Washington has a running back named Dylan Johnson. For all the talk about Michael Penix and that and those three receivers, Dylan Johnson's a good back. But for Dylan Johnson to go 26 totes for 256, four touchdowns, and averaging just below 10 yards a carry, it's inexcusable. Inexcusable. Same guy, same running back before you confuse him with Jim Brown, who against Stanford had 18 carries for 84, against Arizona State had eight carries for six yards. Okay, you you made him look like the best running back in all of football. You fire a coordinator uh, in the middle of the season, this is not a good look for Lincoln Riley. And, I mean, they backed up the Brinks truck and they gave this man everything possible. Everything and they're about to lose Caleb Williams, the number one or number two player in the draft. I don't know who's going to be the quarterback next year. I don't care. Chances are he's not going to be as good as Caleb Williams. And that defense is still probably going to be suspect. So if you're a Trojan fan, and we actually do have one, uh, Jake, that uh, we hear from quite a bit. Jake, I don't know what to tell you, brother. I, to me... You didn't get what you bargained for. There's a lot of teams that made quote-unquote home run hires in the last coaching cycle within the last couple of years that are scratching their head right now and going, this is not exactly what I thought it would look like right now. Well, remember, Mike, before last year, we all sat around and said, well, who uh, who's the new coach, the home run hire? That uh, I think we mentioned Brent Venables. We mentioned Brian Kelly, uh, Lincoln Riley, you know, all that, that class of new coaching hires. And uh, one person said, and I think you're talking to him right now, uh, who's not going to work out? And I said, Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Now, now my, my, this may be, you know, it, we, we may see him do kind of like Florida did, Spurrier did at Florida and be like, all right, I need somebody like a Bob Stoops, come fix, a Bob Stoops-esque type of guy to fix this defense, you know. Because uh, Alex Grinch was kind of trending down. Uh, at Oklahoma anyway. They didn't stop anybody at Oklahoma either. Um, his best work was at uh, Washington State under Mike Leach uh, and when, when they actually did play defense. I remember them holding Oregon to 10 in Eugene and uh, having some 34-7 type games. But, uh, look, I I I, uh, I think they got to fix it somehow, some way. Dylan Johnson was at Mississippi State and played for Leach last year. Uh, he's a transfer portal guy that, from the SEC, and uh, he's—I think—he's been good, but not great. 
and you're right. And so 250, that's, that's a half of, so you're halfway to 500 yards of total offense. With, with they just had no him. answers. They ha- I mean, like you knew it was coming. You didn't even make Penix like have a great game. They just ran all over him. They just gashed him as if they were playing somebody from the Mac. Uh, it's uh, every defensive coordinator I've ever talked to either says it out loud or implies it. When you've got an offensive coordinator that that's that's really all he's focused on, and you don't do anything to help your defense you really put your defense in a bind and and it it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're you're not going to have a dominating he never had one at Oklahoma and he had NFL talent at Oklahoma I mean we could go through the list of players that went through Norman and are playing in the NFL today he had a number of guys like that I'm sure there's a couple guys without putting their defense under a microscope that are future pros right now for the Trojans but you wouldn't know it the way they play defense there's no question. They recruit well on defense. I yeah, mean, of course. Kind of Always have. I mean, they're they're the they're the Southern California Trojans. Yeah. This is Division One football. It's the Big Twelve. You remember Dan Hawkins' rant? That was funny. Uh, but anyway, intermurals, brother. Intermurals, Go play intermurals. Go play intermurals. But uh, by the way, shout out to Georgia State head coach Sean Elliott for telling it just like it is. I don't know if anybody caught that. Uh, his post game presser, he was fired up and uh, appreciate kind of the the straightforwardness of, of some coaches these days. But look, if you're a good defensive coordinator too, though, Mike, like, and I, and I know the Trojans will back up the Brinks truck to, to get a coordinator. They're not going to, that that's part of their investment. You know, they're, they're going to invest in, in whoever Lincoln wants, but do you really, I mean, what, with that offensive system, what are your chances of success? I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to yeah. be tough. Now I'll tell you, if Mississippi state happens to fire Zach Arnett this year, and just say, hey, this was a one-year deal. Because I don't think Arnett has a big buyout. I don't think his contract's that No, long. no. Uh, that's the guy. He's a West Coast guy anyway. He was at San mm-hmm. Diego State. and uh, Rocky Long's guy. Uh, Rocky Long's guy before he got uh, went with the Pirates. So uh, that's the guy probably, if I'm Lincoln, because he's coached in that environment before. Uh, and I know he probably won't want to beat his head against the wall. But, you know, $2, two million in L.A., uh, that's the other thing you have to think about is this, that's not like 2 million in Starkville, but, yeah. uh, but, but if you pay him enough, it's Southern Cal, he's a West coast guy. Uh, he may take a bite at the apple, but you know, I, if I'm a defensive coordinator, though, I, I feel like I'm maybe walking into a situation where I may get fired soon too, you know? Uh, no doubt. All right. Um, in the interest of time, let's get into the JC five. We've got a, we've got a new, uh, twist to this the production level of this show just continues to increase incrementally uh producer phil molinex in in part uh gets uh, kudos for that well i'm going to hold kudos we'll see how this goes so our it's time for the top topics in the sport we bring the jc5 oh it's time for the top topics in the sport oh it's a double shot of gary david and and what number are we on gary (laughs) number one (laughs) All right. Oh, yes. Thank you, Gary. All right. But, all right. First of all, my hat today, and, and I'm, a, I'm a closet UNLV fan because I love their basketball program. And there was one point in time I enjoyed going to Las Vegas quite a bit, but I sure hadn't been out in a while. Uh, but uh, hats off to Barry Odom. Uh, I know because I'm also a Coach O fan. Uh, I was kind of giving them crap for hiring this guy. But, look, th- this guy, he made a good offensive coordinator hire. 
Um, he, 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 he's got a good team They're, They have a backup freshman quarterback. This is not a good program. This is not a, hist- this is not a big winner. And they've tried everybody from a local high school coach to John freaking Robinson through the years. He is seven and two at UNLV. I think they've had two winning seasons in 20 something years, seven and two. So they're going bowling. So shout out to the rebels. And I think that program, Mike, it is one that can succeed because of their location. They play in the Raiders' new stadium now. Uh, the, the fans there actually care. It's not a huge fan base, but Las Vegas cares about UNLV. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about old Barry Odom getting the getting the redemption song out there? Had, you know, had Barry Odom um, a number of times when he was the coach at Missouri, and and honestly, there's a certain personality I think you have to have, unless you're just like. I mean, even Nick Saban can turn it on. You know, for all the talk about Nick being gruff with some members of the media, Nick can turn it on. He never misses an opportunity to go on game day when they're in town. He he's charming. He's funny in commercials. He that's not Barry Odom. Like Barry Odom is just a rough and gruff DC, and we're gonna we're gonna give our best. That was Barry Odom every time I covered him. Doesn't mean he can't coach though. So this is the kind of job that I think he's more cut out for. This is the kind of job that I think he he, he will uh, succeed in. As you mentioned, it's not an easy job, never has been. Uh, I don't think Randall Cunningham's walking through that door, former UNLV great quarterback back in the day. But uh, I'm happy to see it. There, there's, you know, I love to see the redemption stories, and they're out there, uh, of coaches that didn't make it their first go-around you mentioned Zach Arnett. Maybe that's the case with him. Maybe uh, and Sam Pittman might have saved his job with that win in Florida. Uh, you know, maybe he gets a, another shot if he doesn't make it at Arkansas at a, at a lower level school and does does fantastic work. You you learn too from your mistakes usually, um, and so yeah, it, I think it's a, a under the radar story that you have uh, unearthed that not many people were talking about. Yeah, probably Barry's best coaching job as an assistant was at Memphis. Back in the day under Justin Fuente, you look up, Memphis was holding people to like three points. That Where is ha- Justin Fuente right that now? That doesn't happen in that program. I don't know, man. No. Probably uh, probably pulled a Tommy Bowden and went to the beach and counting his money. <laughs> uh, all right, so ready, ready, Number Gary? Two. There we go. Oh, uh, man. So I don't know what to make of this, Mike. We spent too much time on the Trojans already. What about Caleb Williams boo-hooing in his parents' arms at the end of the game? Heartbroken or staged? I don't know. I I, I just really I, – I, I, I swing back and forth. Uh, no, I think it's sincere. I mean, you know, I'm not willing to give him an Oscar uh, for that performance. The, the, the whole thing that bothers me – I don't know who Caleb Williams truly is, okay? Mm. I, haven't, I haven't had him, haven't covered him. Um, I know he made some immature mistakes last year, writing stupid stuff on his fingers for the Utah game and then getting worked over by Utah, which will be a chapter in his collegiate career. Couldn't beat Utah. Um, But I have no reason to believe he's a bad dude. A lot of these guys make silly mistakes, but compared to some of the other um, things out there, I have no reason to to think Caleb Williams doesn't have character and won't be a a, a good guy to draft at the next level. So I'm 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 okay with it. The, the, the thing that bothered me, what I was trying to say, was the coverage almost applauding him for not quitting. There there was too much of boy. Uh, some people were questioning whether or not Caleb Williams was going to just give up on the season and prepare for the draft. But that that's not that's not who this kid is. Well. 
hooray freaking yeah like <laughs> am i supposed to am i supposed to perish excuse me to cherish the fact that he didn't quit after losing a couple of games so he's so dedicated that he's going to play out the rest of the season is that where we've is that the level we've reached now in college athletics i don't think so so I, i'm not giving him any bouquets for for continuing to play if you're a competitor you compete and yeah. i guarantee you every nfl scout would have noticed that too uh, you're you're a quarterback you're not a defensive lineman coming off a you know twisted ankle you're a, a healthy quarterback making seven figures to play for the trojans so uh i don't have a strong opinion on caleb williams the person one way or another i don't pretend to know him i i like you i saw that and i was like is, is he really crying because uh, we hadn't seen that kind of emotion out of him but i i think it's sincere look he 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 played his rear end off. They lost a heartbreaker, uh, and he's lost too many of those games. For a guy who's trying to win back-to-back Heisman's, he won't. Uh, but uh, but I, I think it was it was sincere, in-the-moment type of uh, emotion, and I'm, I'm all here for it. Florida, all right, number wait, three. Wait, 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 number Gary. Three. There we go. Number we three. paid a lot of money right, for that listen. voicemail. we got to use them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so – uh, Dan Mullins last year, Florida goes six and seven. Uh, they do go to a bowl last year. They went six and seven. They did go to a bowl. They lost both bowls to UCF and Oregon State back to back. Billy Napier loses in the swamp to Arkansas. They have LSU, Missouri, and Florida State left. Mike, this could be three straight losing seasons in Gainesville. That has not happened in a long. Didn't happen to Zook. Didn't happen to Muschamp. Didn't happen to McElwain. And in fairness, Mullen owns the first losing season. Uh, they did beat Florida State that year, but I, man, mm. I, I don't know what. What do you make of it? Uh, that situation down there, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't think it happened to Galen Hall, Charlie yeah. Pell. I, I don't know. That's a good. We'll get our crack staff uh, to research that here on yeah. JC and Morgan. We are our seventeen interns right now working on the computers. Uh, I hadn't even thought of it in those terms, but I, I watching that game. And and I said last week, if you're Billy Napier, do not lose that game. Do not lose it. I mean, just 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 don't. And of course they did. And now it, it it's a it's a blank storm. Okay, in, in Gator Nation, um, it's a what's the buyout? It's a well, clearly we we need an offensive coordinator. Billy Napier can't call the play. Well, I mean, they scored thirty three, thirty something points. They still don't play any defense. They still make uh, some bad penalties, and um, I mean you can't you can't you can't blame this on Dan Mullen anymore. Like that that's that that window is passed. Dan Mullen gave you a really good year. Dan Mullen gave you good play calling. Dan Mullen just wasn't a coordinator. Will Muschamp gave you great defenses, but they could never figure anything out on offense, and he got canned. Jim McElwain lied about getting death threats uh, in one of the most embarrassing. Uh, things a coach has ever done at Florida or any other program. Uh, Ron Zook just wasn't cut out for the job. Like It's just been bad hire after bad hire after bad hire, and I don't think it's fair to say Billy Napier's a bad hire. It's only year two, and you can't fire him. I mean, the, 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 not to mention it's a 30-something million dollar buyout, but you can't fire a guy for two years. He's got a top-five recruiting class coming in, but there are a lot of question marks. There's no question about that. Uh, could he? Could they miss a bowl game? Remember now, for you folks that are uh, obsessed with the six number, five and seven teams will make a bowl game this year. 
there are 82 slots, 82 teams that have to go to a bowl game to fill everything. There are not 82 teams that are going to have six wins or more. So some five and sevens will get in there, and it could be a couple from the SEC. Our boy uh, Jerry Palm, I was looking at his list, and he's got Florida in the Liberty Bowl. That could be a six-win team. It could be a five-win team. He's got South Carolina in the Birmingham Bowl against UCF. That could be a six-win team. That could be a five-win team. In other words, six and six is not the mandatory number. Just uh, remember that when you're thinking about all this. Nice. Number, let's go. What are Number four. All right, there we are. Penn State got right. And then look, I, I want to give you some history here. Penn State and Maryland, are, the campuses are not uh, separated by, but yeah, I think it's like an hour and a half. Uh, people don't realize that. You just go straight up from Maryland into middle Pennsylvania and you kind of give Pennsylvania an enema there and uh, get up uh, to, to college, uh, college park, or I'm sorry, what is it? College Park in Maryland. What is what is State College? State College. State College. College Park. Okay, <laughs> they played every year for thirty four years, except for three years off uh, from sixty to ninety three. It is a rivalry. Penn State is forty three three and one against the Terps. That's and why I didn't think of it as a rivalry. <laughs> took, took them. Well, here you go. It is a rivalry, and, and when I, I think the worst thing, and, and you know, Rutgers and Penn State sort of is an old school rivalry too because of New Jersey. Penn State recruits Maryland. They recruit New Jersey. They've always been the team for most of the kids uh, in those two areas. And and I think we're starting to figure out why. I mean, they, they've completely, thoroughly dominated the Terps uh, and have only lost three times uh, to them the, the whole time, uh, you know. And so uh, my question to you is, uh, after saying that, given the history lesson, how big was that for Penn State to just wallop them and get right uh, for this upcoming game? Honestly, I had no idea that that was a, a rivalry, uh, uh, and I didn't know the geography. I really haven't, uh, and I've been to both campuses, but I never put two and two together there. So uh, you learn something every day on J.C. and Morgan. Uh, certainly important because, and this is, you don't want to use the term must win, but really if anybody's going to take James Franklin and Penn State seriously as in the same tier as Michigan and Ohio State, then you have to, you have to win one of these games. You just have to. Uh, so yeah, look, they still have talent. Uh, Aller played a great game again. Unfortunately, you know, he was, he was on a milk carton against Penn state. He, he looked like he was just rattled. He looked like he was not ready for the moment. Will he be ready for this moment Saturday at high noon? That's a big question to me. It's at home with all that white. Finally, big 12 pack 12. I mean, this is the big 12 is not going away. It's reforming. Number five. Oh, I'm sorry. I stepped on that. But boo. Uh, we're getting the kinks worked out folks. Big 12 pack 12. Uh, it's the swan song for the pack 12. Uh, there may be a conference called the pack 12, but it's not going to be the same big, big 12 is kind of reforming, but man, oh man, the, the competition for the championships, championship game slots in these leagues, second to none from an entertainment standpoint, Texas almost went down to K-State the other day. Down goes Texas. And that would have given them two conference losses, Mike. I I love the level of – and this bodes well for the new Big 12. The level of – the the, kind of even-ish playing field uh, is going to be exciting to watch in future years. But for this year, uh, down the stretch, I mean, there are a lot of good competitive teams in both leagues. I think think the Big 12 is going to be – for for the lack of huge brand names when they lose Texas and Oklahoma, 
is going to year out, year in, year out, be one of the most exciting competitive conferences where truly, not just cliche here, truly anyone can win it. And you can't say that about the Big Ten. And you can't say that about the ACC. And you can't say that uh, about the SEC. As much as we talk about the depth, and we'll talk about this with Tim Brando in the next segment, for those that thought the SEC was down, it's still pretty damn good. Just look at the playoff rankings. It's littered with SEC schools. Uh, that being said, the, you know Vanderbilt's not competing for an SEC championship anytime soon. I'm not sure if Mississippi State is. I'm not sure if Arkansas is. Uh, but in the Big 12, when UCF is up and running and BYU combined with the, the usual suspects of TCU and Oklahoma State, like, I think that's going to be uh, a lot of fun. So, yeah, uh, the Big 12 is having a, a, a terrific year. Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma and Bedlam, that just – God, that's got to feel good for the mullet. I mean, that's got to he's going to wear that on his sleeve the rest of his life. Uh, and then the pack, it, it is a Greek tragedy that the pack is having this kind of year with these kind of performances. Now, they still don't play a lot of defense in that league. I don't care what anybody says. But it's entertaining football with a lot of really good quarterbacks that have been fun to watch. And you're about to uh, take the, the biggest stick of dynamite you can find and blow it all up. Oregon, Utah, UCLA, they, they play defense sometimes, and, but that's They, they right. do. No, I, I'm with you, JC, but it, it's it's not like – you wouldn't put that in the same sentence as Alabama, Ohio State, <laughs> right? No. And, and, then the, and, then the, and then the middle tier of that league plays no defense. No. It just, it's just not – like you, you, you come to expect the first one to 45 wins the games very often. And again, it's exciting for as a fan, but it's just it's not championship level play. Exactly. So, uh, anyway, good stuff. All right, we tackled a lot there. We're going to tackle a lot more with Mr. Brando himself. Quick timeout. He'll join us on the other side. It's JC and Morgan. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. While our taste in college football teams or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a Southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in Southern soil, are crafted by Southern hands, and proudly represent the South in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the South. Hey, folks, want to tell you about our friends at Titan Construction Group really quick. They're a mid-Atlantic-based general contractor, specializes in retail, restaurant, and office construction. TCG strives to separate itself from other general contractors by adding value every step of the process. From project budgeting to estimation, value engineering to construction, they focus on those relationships and not the transaction. Titan builds partnerships one project at a time among their clients are Starbucks, Crumble Cookie, uh, Blake Pizza, Home Goods, 15 plus years experience based in Midlothian, Virginia, and contracted in Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So get on their website, TitanCGInc.com. That's TitanCGInc.com. Get in touch with Brad if you're in need of a general contractor that focuses on going above and beyond for their clients. That's Titan Construction Group, a proud sponsor of the JC and Morgan podcast. South Carolinians, this message is for you, as well as for people in Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee. 
If you think you may need work done to your roof or a new roof altogether, there's one simple name to remember, Elite Roofing and Restoration. South Carolina native Jeremy Johnson has been helping people in the South make sure they have the very best people checking on and building new roofs for over 25 years. Fully licensed, bonded, and insured. They provide the best service possible. Call or email today, 678-781-1998. That's 678-781-1998. Or you can go to Elite Roofing. GA.com. Schedule a no-hassle free inspection today. Wind damage, hail damage, or just wear and tear. Don't settle for second best. Let Jeremy Johnson and Elite Roofing and Restoration take care of it all for you today. All right, welcome back. It is JC and Morgan here on a Monday morning. Again, we do this live now every Monday morning, but we also, you can, uh, if you can't catch us on Monday morning, we know schedules are hectic. Most of you will probably hear this later on. Uh, we'll have Tim Brando live in just a moment. As always, JC and Morgan presented by Jeremy Johnson and Elite Roofing. If you're listening to us in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, uh, the name, the brand, the same quality is there for you. More than 25 years of experience in both roofing and construction industries. Not only are they fully licensed, bonded, and insured, but they also carry the industry and manufacturer's certifications needed to provide you with the best service possible. Here's something else I've used uh, Elite Roofing for over the years. Home repairs. They don't just build roofs. They also can make sure if you've got some damage to your house and you're wondering, well, I just... Go and go on the internet and do a random search for somebody and have them. No, go with people that again you can trust. A brand name that's been around for a long time. It's Jeremy Johnson and Elite Roofing. Uh, multiple websites. If you're in Georgia, it's EliteRoofingGA.com. If you're in South Carolina, it's EliteRoofingSC.com. You can always email no matter where you are. Elite Roofing and Restoration at Gmail.com. Schedule a no hassle free inspection today. Uh, do not fool around with a, a, a roof that's too old or damaged. And most insurance companies, if it's uh, hail damage or something like wind, wind damage, they will take care of it. So make sure you take advantage of that. That's Jeremy Johnson and Elite Roofing. Hope to hook up here with Tim Brando momentarily. In fact, oh my goodness, I think we have hooked up with Tim Brando, not just momentarily, but on the spot. And he is, is that a Louisville top? No, no. Arizona, baby. Oh, we're going. We're going NFL. Yeah, yeah. We're going NFL. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, now, why, why, why the Arizona Cardinals of all things? Swag. It's just swag. It's just free swag. Yeah. yeah. It's just free swag. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm calling the Browns Ravens uh, this Sunday um, on national radio, and I've never done a game in Baltimore. And speaking of swag, like. I, there's few p- players that I really get excited over, but Lamar Jackson is one. When you when I saw the Cardinal, I started thinking Louisville. I started thinking Lamar. It's where my head was at. Yeah. I would actually get that swag. I would get a. I don't wear a grown man's jerseys, but I would. I would. I would take a Lamar Jackson jersey and put it somewhere. I'm he was a, phenomenal. I'm not a big. Uh, I'm not a big jersey guy. Me neither. For, except for guys like Jordan and Barkley, guys from my younger days, you know. Uh, but I do. You know, I, I, if you're ever in my study, people say, what is all that stuff? And I'm like, well, it's stuff that matters to me. And um, some of it I accrued just by accident, by playing golf tournaments with guys and, and whatnot. But when I was, um, when I was in a position to uh, bid on a Jordan jersey, I did, and I got it in a silent auction once. Nice. And it was, 
And I did this second game back uh, wearing 45 when he hit a shot over Steve Smith when I was doing Hawks games back in 96. You know, 95. Wow. The 95 year when he came back. And, yeah. uh, and it was a memorable game. In fact, I think um, it might actually have been 94 now that I think about it. It was 94, I believe, because it made the Sports Illustrated it made the Sports Illustrated year in review, and mm-hmm. they used part of Johnny Red Kerr's call and part of my call in the same play. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which was pretty funny. Yeah. Red was, oh, he's back, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm doing the, the typical, you know, right down the middle call. Right. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a cool thing to see. The total Homer call versus mine, equally good, I think, depending on, yeah. you know, your preference. Right, but, right. Uh, but it was sort of fun. I, I uh, I'm a helmet guy. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a helmet guy, and I'm a mic flag guy. You know, when you've worked for as many uh, networks as I have, uh, collecting mic flags. You know, the things we hold up on our microphone. I've always uh, had a penchant for that. So I got a bunch of just things in in here that uh, matter to me. You know, a few uh, a few. Um, uh, awards that also matter, you know, in my uh, ego walls that surround me. I see the Emmys behind you. I see yeah, the I Emmys that. over the right shoulder. Uh, uh, Sports Hall of Fame thing and a few other uh, deals that, you know. But, but yeah, I, I'm not big on on grown men jerseys, especially from guys that are, you know, 50 years younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> I never – yeah, from my earliest days in the business. When I that's was, right. You know, really excited. Like, oh, gosh, I'm calling a Michael Jordan game and a Michael Jordan moment, yeah. you know, or, or a Barkley moment, um, those types of things. Um, and I'm also friends with uh, a few of those guys. And, and how close I am to some probably uh, has an impact on me. I got a, a Joe Torre signed when I did Braves games. I got, you know, a World Series uh, with Ernie Johnson Sr. I got a World Series ball. Uh, with Glavin and Maddox and those guys. And then the next year when Tory beat them, it just so happened my agent at that time also represented Tory. So, and I knew Joe, so he gave me one. And uh, those those things sort of mean something to me. I think you and I have a, a very similar collection of Mike flags. You've got more <laughs> than I do, but we both have ESPN and Fox, uh, yeah. Braves. Uh, yeah, there's a Panthers. You and I both yeah, call Panthers preseason like. games. This was one of my favorites. I'll, I'll, I'll grab it. This, this is the old TNT Mike flag. Remember oh, I don't have yes. that. That's yeah, yes. that is big time oh, right that? there. Oh, heck yeah. TNT NBA. Was, uh, well, didn't they, they had the Sunday night football package. Wasn't it split with TNT and ESPN first few years? Is uh, that right? Vern did those games, yeah. Uh, Gary Bender yeah. and then Vern, yeah. 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 Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, that was red is my uh, spotter now. So, yeah, uh, when when CBS lost the NFL, um, uh, Vern went over and did those. Uh, they, they had half the season, and ESPN had half the season. Remember that? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny you met. You know, Vern. I'll never forget this. And Vern is just one of the nicest human beings on the planet. Yeah, so when when I was calling games to South Carolina, I was fortunate to win the uh, NSSA, which is National Sports mm-hmm. Writers and Sports Casters Association, uh, broadcaster of the year a few NSMA, times. Correct? Yeah, they changed it, right. I don't know why, but they – so my, my plaques are incorrect. But anyway, <laughs> speaking of swag. You're dated. So, dated? Yeah, exactly. 
I'm dating. I'm not going to win it now because I don't. I don't call it for a team anymore. Uh, um, yeah. And I don't think I'm winning the national award. And every time I won the national award, it was either Nance or Vern. And one day I went up to Vern and I just said, you know, I. I mean, I grew up watching you, et cetera, et cetera, and mm-hmm. and uh, I've enjoyed you on the SEC. And he said, well, I'll tell you a funny thing about that, Mike. The reason I'm doing SEC football is because they fired me from the NFL. <laughs> like that, that was a demotion, yeah. Yes, it was a dem- It was considered a demotion at the time. People don't know that story. Yeah. But I that's do. exactly <laughs> what it was. Well, I know you do. You, you know all these stories. But I don't think yeah. people realize that Vern – it's not like he went to his superiors and said, I've always wanted to do SEC football. Can I please have that package? No, no. Uh, Sean McManus had worked at NBC before he came to CBS. He loved Inberg, and Dick was suddenly available because they were ushering him out uh, at mm-hmm. NBC. And uh, he thought that Dick had plenty of tread left on his tires. And to, to bring Inberg in uh, at that time was going to mean a lot. You know, he was trying to bring CBS sport I, and, you know, and, uh, in defense of the move that moved Vern back, okay, it, the, the the superiors at CBS were trying to, and Sean McManus, who just announced his, uh, his uh, retirement, he was trying to get CBS Sports back and bringing in as many signature voices, uh, really, in his mind, was important. I had, uh, I think in a lot of ways, my ascent uh, at CBS when I went there in 96 was due in large measure to Fox taking the NFL away and all those guys leaving and going to Fox. Mm. And that enabled me to, to work um, bigger games in the NCAA tournament, uh, work with Al McGuire in the regional finals, all those things. That was, that was great for me. But when Sean started bringing in uh, guys like Inberg, uh, suddenly my, my place went down a peg. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you, you have to deal with that. And, um, and, uh, and Vern's went down too, you know, and yeah, you can make a case that Vern's, Every bit as legendary as Dick Enberg, but the one major difference was Dick had done all those Super Bowls, all right. those NCAA tournament finals at NBC, and and Vern had been pretty much a career number two guy, you know, at CBS. He never mm-hmm. was the the number one guy. So, um, I think it was a, a a couple of things he thought he thought that he could uh, give Vern college football, and Vern would be very accepting of it and excited about it because he had done it for all those years at ABC before he came to CBS. You know, a lot of people don't know that he did that, but he was working behind Keith Jackson. That's where he got his break really was at ABC. Uh, and then, and then, but, but the real, the reality was Vern hadn't done a college game in probably 25 years. Right. You know, so he was, uh, Oh boy. You know, the, the booths aren't as nice. The hotels are smaller. <laughs> the, uh, the trips are to, to, you know, I might have to take a puddle jumper into, some of these towns into start mm-hmm. Vegas, you know? And um, so, yeah, I think he was a bit reticent to the notion at the, at the time, but I think it extended Vern's career by probably 10 to 15 years. Yeah. He went to the sec because the league took off, you know, right about that time. Uh, and, uh, and, and Enberg, uh, I think probably left CBS a good five or six years uh, before Vern did. Vern had life well beyond uh most people's thoughts, I think, because he had all those great games. And despite what anybody wanted to say about Uncle Vern, uh, as he as he aged, in the I still say this, Mike, in the moment, okay, in the moment, it's a little bit like bench coaching versus game preparation, right? Uh, some coaches are great during a game, 
uh, they may not be the best at uh, preparation, you know, leading up to the game. But in the game, you know, they're locked in. I think a lot of play-by-play guys historically uh, prepare really, really well. But in the moment, there's maybe some hesitation or maybe there's a lack of uh, being assured of, of, of exactly what you're going to say or how do you react in the moment in real time. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody in any sport was better than Vern Lundquist in real time. You have to say just the right thing and mm-hmm. also know what not to say at just the right time. Right. You nailed it, Tim, because his pauses and silence at times yeah. – was yeah. like golden, especially called SEC football because you yeah. you hear like all right, play crowd Vern, you yeah. know, and, and he, he didn't have to like dude. That was all, and in basketball too, right. basketball too. I, I remember when South Carolina he called the South Carolina Florida game when the Gamecocks went to the Final Four, beat him. I remember there's a dunk at the end that clinched it, and, and he said nothing until you heard the the actual mm-hmm. sound of the dunk, yeah. the, gar- yeah. the garden garden going crazy. <clears throat> and then he did, and, and that's so I, I agree. And if they hadn't replaced him with Brad Nessler, who I really like, you yeah. know, I think those broadcasts would have taken a, a step back. No offense to Gary Danielson, who I also like, but uh, yeah. they, they, I think they, they did a good job replacing an iconic voice for that yeah. broadcast. Yeah, and, and, and I helped by getting the hell out of there, right? So it was the right guy. <laughs> I, I don't know, Tim, man. You've caught a lot of games over the years that I absolutely love, so I, I, don't, I don't know about well, that. But. I, I just, just to, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning that, J.C., only because that, that was and it is uh, something that um, will always follow me. You know, Tim, why did you leave so abruptly? And, you know, a lot of it was, um, you know, Tim Brando – had to look himself in the mirror a little bit on that one. And Mm -hmm. um, I fell in a wonderful spot. I'm forever happy to be at Fox. But um, I think a lot of people thought I was going to be the heir apparent to Vern, including me. uh, And that did not happen. But Brad came up the same same time as I did. We're about the same age. Uh, He has a different approach to calling a game than I do. He's -hmm. he's got great pipes, very laid back. You know, I'm a little more energized and enthusiastic, I think. Um, but that's just who I am. That's our personality. But he's you, got a big, he's got big pipes. Brad's major. Big pipes. Major. And he utilizes them great. And he's got great timing too. He's, he's wonderful. And we're, I, I joke with Brad whenever we talk, I said, you know what, with Vern gone and Musburger gone, we're the new old guys. You know, <laughs> we really are. We're the new yeah. old guy, you know. <clears throat> uh, Tim, we had somebody mention maybe if you can get a little closer to the mic, I guess where you're, you're, Maybe a little drowned out compared to us. There we go, well, and we get to see my, uh, a closer look at you. My uh, my ear my earbuds are not working today too. That might be we, part of it. So we, we don't want to waste those pipes of yours. And and yeah. on, on that note, um, and by the way, Nestler kind of reminds me of Ron Franklin in a way that it's oh it's, good. That's a good comparison. Yeah. You know what? Because it's it's and I grew up on Ron Franklin as a kid watching a lot of SEC football. It's the it, great pipes. And it's the subtlety. It's it's very kind of low key, laid back, kind of yeah. what I would call an easy listen. And and, and people yeah. fell in love with Ron Franklin before he was shown the door. Um, and we had Brad on, I guess, about a year ago, and he was wondering what his future was going to be with the CBS uh, SEC deal winding up. Well, now, of course, with the Big Ten coming, I would think Brad's in pretty good shape to. Uh, oh to keep, yeah, he'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that was obviously. Yeah. A plus for him. Yeah, he's um, going to be great. CBS is going to be great. I think uh, uh, Sean McManus, who, by the way, uh, I correspond with uh, a good bit now, and um, 
the good news about my separation from CBS was that uh, they allowed me to control the narrative in my exit. And uh, when Fox was vetting, they were very, very kind to me. And, and I wound up with a golden parachute, as it turned out. So I have nothing but great memories of my time uh, at CBS. And, <clears throat> you know, the truth be told, that whole deal with the Big Ten, uh, CBS and NBC negotiated with my bosses at, at Fox. Fox had control of the deal. And they, they, they really made that sort of an NFL kind of deal. Mm-hmm. You know, the blueprint of what the NFL did and uh, and Fox, you know, controlled it. And uh, and then they sold it out to uh, to NBC and CBS to keep them involved in college football, which I think is for the ultimate good of the sport. You know, the more different carriers you have, uh, I think the better it is for the sport in question. You know, if you if you only have one or two major carriers, uh, I think a lot of times uh, it, it's it's not good for the for the league. You want to have, you know, the, the Big Ten is now effectively going to be on from noon uh, till midnight, you know, on the three biggest carriers you could possibly have, not on cable. Now, that is to say that being on FS1 or the Big Ten network isn't a good thing because it is, but to have your main three games on Fox, CBS, and NBC in order, and that's the way it'll be beginning next year when the SEC deal goes away, for CBS, that's a heck of a thing. Yeah, and of course the SEC will be on ABC uh, as well as and, you know the, and ESPN, and yep. ESPN and SEC Network. Right. So it, it is weird that we've reached a point where basically we associate conferences with specific TV networks now, but that's kind of where we're at, you know. Yeah, I mean, and 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 you've probably seen this, you no doubt will uh, when you get back in the saddle in basketball. But I mean. <laughs> The interesting thing is now social media wants to, uh, you know, the, they, they really want to begin guerrilla warfare, you know, between announcers saying that we're in the, you know, we're in the tank for said league. Right. That's right, the right, boo right. we work for, which is garbage. Yeah. But it's just the nature of the culture we have today with with the consumer because they consume news that way. So therefore, mm-hmm. they believe that they should consume sports that way. I don't think so that's true. That. Uh, but that's so, the way and, it is. And if they only knew what what us as announcers truly want, I always tell people the only way they'll sometimes, sometimes and I, I don't get a whole lot of slack of being a, a homer for this team or this conference or anything like that mm-hmm. since I made the, the adjustment from radio to TV, but uh, there's always going to be that 1% that, I mean, Joe Buck went through this. The Yankees mm-hmm. fans thought he was a Red Sox fan. Red Sox oh, yeah. fans thought he was yeah. a Yankees fan. But yeah. But I always tell people, think of it this way. Play-by-play guys and analysts, we are a selfish group, and here's what we here. It's <laughs> yeah. tr- truly, we are. We don't care who wins when we're doing the game on TV, right. on network television. Radio is a different deal when you're the voice of a team. We want the best game possible because a great game makes us sound better, right? So just look at it in those terms, and I think yeah. then all of a sudden people are like, "Yeah, you are selfish. I, I can believe that. Yes, you really yeah. do want a good game because it's you're going to have better ratings, you're going to sound better, you're going to have better calls. You're going to that's what we all want. We don't want a blowout. We don't want yeah. a boring game. So when you put it in those terms, I think people are convinced. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. No, we um, we <laughs> if anyone wants to charge us with being uh, guilty of. Um, of having preferences, okay? They should see us when our games end, and then we're watching the games of of, of other uh, uh, of other networks and right. uh, and maybe games on our own network that the outcomes, like for instance, we're in a six day hold, 
uh, last week for where, mm-hmm. where am I going to be this week? I was either going to be at Oklahoma, West Virginia. Uh, I was either going to be there or I was at, you know, possibly Oregon uh, and, um, and USC or possibly um, a matchup with um, Kansas State. Uh, no, Texas and TCU. I think those were the sort of the three games that were maybe on the docket on a six-day hold, depending upon who was picking first. Was it ESPN, ABC, or CBS? Which, as it turned out, ABC, ESPN picking first. So they got the uh, Texas-TCU game. Uh, so Oklahoma-West Virginia was the Big 12 game that was going to fall to Fox. We got four games. And um, so the question becomes, uh, Tim, do you really – which game do you want to do? And, and uh, you know, Oregon-USC is a much better game right now than Oklahoma-West Virginia because Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma State. The game's later, and it's a little more travel for me, but do I prefer doing the Oregon game uh, at home against uh, USC? Yeah, I, I do, because I think it's, uh, it's a late-night game. It doesn't have to go up against the primetime audience that presumably Fowler and Herb Street have, and it's got major, major influence and impact on the national scene. Oklahoma, not so much now, because they've lost twice. They still figure into the Big 12 story, but not – nationally after getting their second loss to Oklahoma State. So, yeah, it's um, if we have any rooting interest at all, it's okay. Well, did that team stay clean? Yeah, they did. Okay, that's a possibility. I hope I get to go. That's right. <laughs> I hope I get to go back to Austin. You know, that's that's really all we care about is to get potentially the, the best possible matchup so that we go in with a storyline that can whet the appetite of the audience. And you can you don't have to sell it hard, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's so week, true. Yeah, last week we had a week with because of because of presumed World Series games. There are only two Fox games. I'm not I'm not going to do um, that game. So I have to go and do Michigan State and and uh, Nebraska on FS1, sort of the little noon game on cable, right? Mm. And uh, well, you know, Nebraska getting bowl eligible was about all we had as a storyline. Yeah. You know that, and you know speculation on the Michigan State scenario. So. I've had great games all year. That was the first time that we had done a game at noon. First time we've done a game involving a team with a losing record. And, uh, you know, you're going to have those on occasion, but I don't have it very often anymore. And that's a good thing, but that's what we want. We want the best possible game that we know we have a chance of getting, you know, no no doubt. That's all that matters to us. I mentioned I've got Browns Ravens Sunday. I, I don't care about either team personally, but I'm pulling for the Browns and Ravens this past Sunday to win. Yeah. It gives, gives me a better matchup next week. Again, it's, it's, at that level, it's purely selfish. Uh, one more broadcasting question before we, we dive into a myriad of football topics, as many as we can uh-huh. with the time permitted. I my first introdu- I mentioned my routine at the top of the show is always uh-huh. waking up and watching game day. And, and back then, you were the original host, and that, that was my introduction to Tim Brando at a young age. And then uh, so many of the quote-unquote formative years – uh, and I say this not because you're on. Uh, I would say this if you were not on the show. You're one of the few people that are, are exceptional at being an announcer and a studio host. We have far too many studio hosts that go to their bosses now, and you know how this goes. Hey, I want to do play-by-play, and the bosses put them on there, and it's a substandard product. No, we're not going to mention names. Um, 
So I watched you. The C. The, I wish I could find the um, the sounder. Everybody knows the CBS theme music, but mm-hmm. when you when the, when this music came on and you're watching a game and you're into the game, all of a sudden you hear da 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 da, and then mm-hmm. it's you talking about some fly in the ointment upset that's going to rock the college mm-hmm. football world. I don't know if you realize in the moment when you're doing that what an impact every word you say about that that that, that break in that cut in it, it, it's it's mammoth, and you did that for I don't know how many years, and yeah. I just think back like that's what I remember you as as much as anything else those cut ins because they were so huge to to what was going to shake down in mm-hmm. November December of college football. Yeah, you're a headline writer on television is what you are in that situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, make me take notice. Okay, what is important about the next 10 seconds that you're interrupting Vern for? Okay, and uh, fans, especially in the South, really, they you're you're interrupting for that. Get the hell (laughs) off my lawn. Okay, so you had to you had to make it sound as if it was something important. And I I did. I mean, that was the science to it. Um, I think a lot of times now, especially. Uh, no disrespect intended. I know you still work there. I, I, I think ESPN will break into games to show uh, how much they've got coming up, mm-hmm. and that's not a reason to interrupt a game. Mm-hmm. You know, here here's a here's a quad box of the games we've got coming up on our family of networks. Four minutes left in the game. It's a one score game. Please stop. Okay, so I understand when there's frustration from an audience when there's a cut in during a game. And I would hate to be the the host that's told to do that. But the hosts now are told to do that. Mm -hmm. When I was doing it, I would literally have to sell the producer on, hey, we really need to do this. Cut it. (laughs) We we really need to do this. And uh, they either acquiesced or they didn't. Sometimes we just didn't have time to do it, especially if a team was in hurry up, you know, that kind of thing. But. You know, I always fashioned myself as a play-by-play guy, not as a studio host. But if I was going to be in the studio and that was where I was going to um, have to make my impact, I, I damn sure was going to do my best to have impact. And and uh, that meant speaking in absolutes and giving people a reason to want to know why what these next 10 seconds are about are important. And uh, sometimes, and, and it really developed, I think, with Vern and Gary especially, Vern got a kick out of it. He was like, oh, oh, Timmy, he enjoyed that one, didn't he? You know, Vern or Vern would get back and we'd have dialogue with it. And it was just a lot, a lot of fun, you know, because a lot of the guys and you could always tell, I think, um, uh, Ron Franklin especially had disdain for a cut in for no reason. <laughs> you know, Ron. All right. Let's go back to the studio. What do you have for us? You know, and then uh, here, here comes the cut in and they throw it back to him and it would be. Second and nine. Seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was classic, man. Well, was classic. With that. He was that way with sideline reporters too. I, I felt so bad, you know, for uh, for whoever was doing the cut in, whether it was Chris or Reese or whoever happened to be doing said cut in when Ron oh. would throw it back to them, you know. Uh, but but Vern, what do you got? Play- <laughs> what do you got? Vern Vern was always playful. And he would say, oh, Tim, he's got that Boise State fly-in-the-ointment thing going again, <laughs> which he knew was pissing off every Alabama fan in America. And I loved it. Okay, if I was pissing off every Alabama fan in America, 
selling Boise State as a undefeated on the blue turf that might get a BCS bid if they went out. Oh my God, it was Nirvana. You know. <laughs> hey, I, I thought of so, you, and I, I do this every week uh, since we, we became a visual medium as well on this podcast uh, this year. Right. I pick a different college football stadium as my backdrop every week. That right. is Yeoman Stadium. Speaking Ooh, yeah. of a, uh, the, the new home of the Green Wave as of about 10 years ago, they used to play uh-huh. in an empty Superdome and way back when the historic uh, two-lane stadium that hosted three Super Bowls. But they're one of those kind of fly in the ointment. Yeah. Uh, in the old days, they really could have been a fly in the ointment. I, I don't know. You know, now it's, it's the goals of kind of a New Year's six. Um, but that kind of brings me to next year. They'll be back in it, though. That's, that's right. Out of 12, it's important, vital. Because you, really. you got to have one. They don't like being called group of five. But you, but but right. one of those will, will have a spot regardless yeah. if, if we and keep I the current format. The chances of getting two potentially could be there, especially if we go – as I believe we will in the new contract to 16. I think we're definitely going to go to 16 in the yeah. new deal, which starts in 26. People have to understand they're starting this thing a year early and the negotiations for the new television deal start, you know, the following year. And I think that will be a 16 team deal and the top four teams will get an extra home game. They won't get a buy. That's my right. belief. What is it? Where does that come from your affinity I know you went to a quote-unquote smaller school. Yeah. You, you've always hey, kind can of – Hey, can uh, I get you another prop real quick? Let me show yeah, you please. Yeah. Oh, this should be good. Is, yeah, is this a, a ULM yeah. helmet, helmet? No, no, no. This is, <laughs> this is a uh, – this, my friend, is a fly in the ointment. Oh, an actual fly. <laughs> I love it. Fly. Now, uh, Gary Danielson's wife made this for me. I love that. Yeah, and when they went to the 14 playoff away from the BCS2, he was saying that that meant rest in peace, fly in the ointment. Right. So I've lost the R. It's like a bad hotel sign, you know, that says hotel instead of hotel. No vacancy. That should, that should be R-I-P-F-I-O, and the R and the O are both gone. They're okay? both gone, R-I-P, but the spirit of the fly, fly the is still there. We did a college football preview show, and Gary presented me with this at CBS on the air. I held on to it. One day I'm going to get the R and the uh, O back, and I'll bring it back the next time I do a game involving you know, a potential fly in the next, Yeah. But where, do, where does your affinity for the little guy come from? Because you were always going oh, back access. to your studio yeah, days. I, yeah, I, I just, you know, going all the way back to ESPN, uh, I would tell Bino. Uh, you know, Dana, <laughs> these teams that are really good know they've got no chance. Now, this was before we even had, you know, a playoff. It was a, you know, the Rose Bowl is going to have the Big Ten mm-hmm. and the Pack and the Pack Eight, Pack Ten at that time. Uh, the 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 uh, at the time the Alliance or um, let's see, what did we call them back then? We had um, we had the Alliance, and then we had uh, Coalition. Coalition, coalition. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, you know, those teams know they got a chance to play for a share of, of a championship. These other teams have no shot at anything. Right. And that's right. just fundamentally wrong. What other sport tells more than 50% of its, uh, of its uh, clientele, you can't play in our, in our finale. You can't right. be a part of the conversation. So I've been on this, I've been pounding the pavement, you know, for 35, no, excuse me. 
38 years that I've been doing this. This mm -hmm. is no new thing with me, okay? When I say college football needs a czar, I said that in 2002 in the studio. And this NCAA thing with Michigan is further proof we need a czar. Mm -hmm. We don't need the NCAA as part of any uh, kangaroo court that's screwing up our November uh, to remember. And that's what we've got with this um, back channeling of, of leaks to, to writers that's dominating the news when we should be talking about these great weekends. You know, I, I can go big picture. I can make it uh, for, for what's going on now. That, that's where college football just has never gotten it. And, and you know, people will say, well, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the commissioner of the Big Ten, he could step in right now. They, he doesn't serve at the requests of the ADs or the coaches. He serves at the pleasure of the presidents. And until there's a notice of allegation sent to Michigan, and so far there hasn't been, there's no way they're going to deal with this now. Any more than Mike Slive was going to do anything when everybody in the SEC was going apoplectic over the uh, selling of talent by Mr. Newton of his son Cam, which, the, which everyone was crying he should be ineligible. And uh, Gene Chizik didn't talk for a month. And we basically just had to grin our teeth and, and bear it for the last month of that season and Auburn last I checked still has that national title. They haven't taken it away. Gonna be, nobody's going to take that thing away. And they're not college taking away Michigan's chance at a title no, this year. No college football needs to govern. The, the one thing that Tony Petiti can do and should do and Greg Sankey can do and should do is understand that they need to convince the, the presidents of their institutions. Okay. Because it's, those are the ones they have to talk to. They need to make sure that they can, talk to their presidents and say, you know what? We cannot count on the NCAA to get anything right. They screwed us on NIL. They screwed us on transfer portal all at one time. They don't have the best interests of college football at heart or in their soul. We need to take control. Let them run the basketball tournament. We can take that money from them for that. Finance all those non-revenue producing sports. But by God, when it comes to football, that's our domain. We govern it ourselves. We govern it ourselves. And if that means putting together your own um, enforcement committee, your own infractions committee, you know, you've got to meet and settle on that and do something about it. And that way college football can be in charge of itself because the NCAA I, doesn't give a damn. They don't give a no. damn about what's going on with college football. And they haven't since they lost their financial monopoly way back in 1984 when I was breaking into this business. I wouldn't have mm -hmm. had a job doing college game day if not for the universities of Georgia and Oklahoma winning that lawsuit. But that lawsuit number was three, two in the Supreme court. This, this decision by the Supreme court that effectively ruled the NCAA null and void was nine to nothing. Yeah. Now think about that, that the, that the Supreme court could be unanimous in one thing. It's the neo-colonial actions of the NCAA <laughs> and how they have been operating completely anti Sherman act forever get the hell away from them and run your own business. That's what they can do and what they should do. I, I think we're, we're a lot closer to that than ever. I do too. It, I do it, too. It, it's just a matter of time that the stakes are too high and too big to be messing around with. Uh, basically the NCAA in my mind now is nothing more than a, an event planner for the other 87 yeah. sports for yeah. a championship. And they're good at it. They're good at that, by the way, that's their, yeah. that's their strength. That's, that's what, what they, they should do. Well. do. Yeah. But just stay, and, stay out of football. And, and, and by the way, 2032, they got to negotiate that new deal uh, with Turner and CBS. And if not them, somebody else, 
if they want to stay in business, they need to start, you know, planning for that no, and, no. Uh, you know, plan on it and, and get that done. I wish them all the best with it. But, you know, and again, I don't my comments in the last week or so that I'm no doubt you guys have read. Um, I have no quibble whatsoever, JC, you're a writer. I have no quibble with anonymous sources. None. I don't. OK, I use them myself in my career as a broadcast journalist, especially when I was doing studio work. So, you know, I'm not going to find fault with with anonymous sources. But uh, you know where these guys are all getting their their ends, uh, the, the story on stallions. They're getting it from the, the directly from the NCAA. They have no transparency or honesty whatsoever. All they do is legislate against human dignity and get their stories out through the voices of the print media. That's what they do. And um, it just reeks to me. And, and not to say there's know, not another no Connor Stallions. No problem with the writers. Right. Uh, they do what they have They're to doing do. their They've job. Got a job They've got a job to do. But, but I, I can see through it, and I think most uh, knowledgeable fans can too. Yeah, and, and, and there might be another Connor Stallions out there for another school. And if so, <laughs> that might be yeah. channeled out there pretty soon. Um, we're 10 weeks in. Let's do kind of a spanning of the globe with uh, Timmy yeah. B here. What, just your overall impressions, big picture here on the season thus far. Most exciting ever. I mean, it's wow. been <laughs> most yeah. exciting ever. I just think it's been unbelievable. Okay. Um, right now, I have not done my top 10 uh, for this week yet, but I will tell you, Michigan's still going to be number one for me regardless of what uh, the committee says about Ohio State and their strength of schedule at this stage. I think they've played to their own standards. But uh, on a, in a private room without consequences, if you ask me, Tim, how would Michigan fare against uh, Oregon or Washington on a neutral field, I would tell you I would take the opposition. Mm. <laughs> I would. Yeah. Because I think they don't have enough offense to hang with those teams. And I think the defenses of both of those teams are good enough. Like, for instance, Washington yields a lot of yards. I mean, a lot of yards. They are in the right at the top 20 of red zone defense. They, they, they stifle people when they get inside the red zone. Uh, Oregon's defense, and especially their, their front, is really good. They, they wreak havoc on people. Uh, and you could argue that their loss to Washington was a game that, that Dan Lenning outsmarted himself with analytics and maybe, you know, pull the, the analytics card out one too many times. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those are the best two teams playing right now. I'd also tell you Florida State is without question a better football team than Alabama or Georgia in my mind. Wow. Of those really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Alabama, okay. if, if, if Alabama doesn't knock uh, – the, the LSU quarterback Daniels out of that game. You're gonna tell me they stay they, they stay stuck on 28? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that they would have had to have scored 50 to win that game. If uh, and by the way, that was that was the definition of targeting. Uh, I know. <laughs> why I mean, is the rule there if you don't call? Why that? is it there exactly? <laughs> why is it there if you're not gonna call it? And it's not that, as if Dallas Turner hasn't done that many times before. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean that. It is what it is, okay? Uh, I give Nick a lot of credit and his offense uh, credit for improving. Milrow has really improved. Mm -hmm. uh, but LSU has an historically bad defense, and it showed again. And that's the reason, what was it, 13 for 15 on third down conversions for Alabama? Insane. I mean, it was, and it was a Milrow run almost every one of them. Almost every time. 
And it didn't matter whether it was third and eight. He could run from 12, 13, 15, whatever was necessary. So, you know, LSU didn't deserve to win the game, but Alabama is not all that. I mean, they aren't. No, Uh, I think George is a bigger argument. Yeah. well, With a healthy Brock Bowers. I simply can't get the Auburn game out of my mind with Georgia. Mm -hmm. I cannot get it out of my mind. Auburn is not a very good football team. Georgia really struggled in that game. I can't unsee that. Now, I think that, um, you know, Georgia is certainly a better team than Alabama, but I don't think if they had to play in the Pac-12 week in and week out with those teams that you've got to score against to win, it's almost the same argument SEC fans love to say about any other team anywhere else. Hey, if that team team played in the SEC, they'd have three losses. You know, how many times you hear that? I'm telling you right now, if Georgia Georgia were playing and Alabama were playing against teams like Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, I mean, they'd have at least lost a couple of times. Because you've got to have dynamic talent at wide receiver. And with Bowers gone, Georgia is getting by, in my mind. They're physical, yes. Uh, And he's got depth, no doubt. But I don't think they've got the dynamics – they don't have one receiver that mirrors Marvin Harrison at all. That's why Ohio State's where they are. They've been carried by Marvin Harrison. They're I not think that the, good. I think They're the magic good. of Georgia, I don't think it's his, Kirby's most talented team. I think the magic of Georgia is that you just got a bunch of guys that know how to win. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's what they're used to. It's the culture of it. It's they're never gonna the moment's never gonna be too big for anybody on that sideline because they've all been there, done that. That's invaluable, and that's right. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it's it's Kirby's most talented team. I don't see a mate. I don't think there's a truly great team in college football this year. I don't think there's no. an LSU a few years ago with Joe Burrow. I don't no. think there's a Georgia uh, with the with the first uh, Kirby title. But that's what's going to make the playoff, presumably. Uh, yeah, maybe more think, intriguing than in years yeah, past. I just think the body of work for Florida State is so much more convincing to me than either Alabama or Georgia. You know, it, look, it is. I mean, but... look at who they played, and who, look who they played by choice. You know, the, the playing LSU was a choice. It was a choice last year. It was a choice this year. And now they followed up on it. Uh, and, I mean, and they got the best transfer portal player ever, maybe. I mean, yeah. Keon is Coleman. just incredible. Yeah, yeah. From, and, from, and, from Louisiana, your yeah. home state there. Yeah. By, way of, by way of Michigan State. You want to know why Mel Tucker got – you know, nine point five million for ten years. Him, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> I'm still wondering how not Mel Tucker got nine point five million from anybody, but that's well, a whole other story. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you how it happened, okay? Because he's friends of mine, and I saw him again this week. You know, uh, Tom Izzo loves college football. He loves mm-hmm. it. the new football facility uh, at uh, East Lansing. He's going to have his name on it. Uh, his walk-on, multi-multi-multi-millionaire-billionaire Matt Ishbia, who was on that team that won the national title as a right. walk-on, uh, funded that, you know, really funded that 9.5, 10, 10-year deal. And the reason was they were convinced, and Tom, I think, was part of it, they were convinced that they let they let Saban go to LSU when they didn't have to, that they could they could have ponied up enough money to hold on to Nick at Michigan State. And it was just a damn shame that they didn't do it at that time. So rather than lose Mel Tucker to some other entity, let's pony up that cash now and just get him out of the equation with any other hot seat that ever happens. That's, I believe in my heart of hearts, that's why it happened. 
I think you're uh, right, but Saban's track record compared to Mel Tucker's at oh, that stage, yeah. to me, yeah. that's yeah. that's night and day. But remember uh, who he worked with, though. Remember who he worked with. Well, he worked he with, with Kirby Saban first. And with Kirby. He was with yeah. Kirby, with Nick. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you take those two and that pedigree, it just, the resume looked really too good. And if you ever, if you've ever sat down with Mel, and I have on many occasions, he's a deep thinker. He's uh, measured, much like Saban is measured uh, when he's talking. And he's, um, uh, and, and he has, I think, a, a great mind in terms of how to connect to today's player. It's a damn shame what's happened to him. Yeah. Uh, I think that he'll win his case, his wrongful termination suit, or mm-hmm. at the very least, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll get a great, great settlement. This this probably has settlement written all over it. I, I think will, probably yeah. will never get to court, but but he'll win a settlement and it'll be a big settlement financially. But he'll never coach in college football again. Ever. Not at that level. No, no, no chance. No, no chance. What about since we're on we're, we're wrapping things up with Tim Brando? Tim, you and I and, and JC, we could go for hours. You you knock it out of the park every time we Love have it. you on, which is why you're. <laughs> You're one of the few. Uh, you're, there's a special spot reserved for like the three timer <laughs> club, um, JC and Morgan. You got Luke and Bill. You got you. You got maybe one other. Um, th- when when I look at where college football is now with coaches, coaches' salaries, and I did a whole thing the other day on buyouts, and 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 where we are there, and we have gotten to the point. Uh, coaches being on the hot seat is not something new. No. But I think, and I don't know if there's a study of this out there, I think if you look at the average duration of time Power 5 coaches are able to maintain their employment before getting whacked, it's right. got to be lower than ever. Oh, and, yeah. and therefore, you got the buyouts and the dead money, but there's more TV money to pay the dead money. I don't know if it's good for the game, bad for the game, but man, oh man, it's like you can't cover a conference, and you and I can't go into into a game and meet with these guys without seeing – the absolute anxiety because so half of them are on the hot seat. Yeah, half of them yeah. are on the hot seat. It's yeah. never been this this well, bad, for lack yeah. of a better word. And and uh, sadly, okay, uh, and this is especially true, I think, for the younger guys, Mike, that coming up today. Um, you don't get to know them the way yeah. we once did. Right. Uh, I walk into a room now. You know, I'll be in 2025. I'll be in my 40th year nationally. Okay, for 40 years since I started doing games at ESPN and then game day came in 87. That was 38 years ago. I was on the sidelines in 86 with Mike Patrick and Pat McAnally on CFA primetime when we had just because of that ruling by uh, the Supreme Court got the CFA contract for primetime games. That was the biggest show ESPN had in 1986. And it got the ball rolling for that network. It really did. It created really the great success of the eighties that was uh, ESPN. And then that rolled into the nineties and it, we, they went from the little cable that could to the 1200 pound gorilla of the industry. Okay. So college football was responsible for that. But, you know, back in our day when we were coming up, if you got to know Roger Valdeseri at Notre Dame, um, Langston Rogers at Ole Miss, Paul Manassa at LSU, Bob Bradley at Clemson, uh, Don Bryant at Nebraska, uh, uh, Tim Tessalone at USC, Mark Dellens at UCLA. Uh, you had an in. You could get to the coach. You you could you could find out the things you needed to find out. Now the people that are working in sports information 
they can't get to the coach until they talk to the operations guy for the coach. Okay, mm-hmm. so now you got a layer, another political layer of, of uh, immunity <laughs> for the coach to stay away from the reporters, okay? Any reporter. Uh, and, and so when we go into these meetings sometimes, because I'm a familiar face and voice that's been around for a while, I don't run into the same necessary roadblocks that others in our business do, which uh, that's fortunate. I'm fortunate in that regard, but I sense it. I can see that they're under the gun and with the portal and with NIL, their job description has changed drastically in the last 18 months. And it's had a tremendous impact on them. Uh, when I watched, and not just watched, but but listened to the Dabo Sweeney moment with Tyler on the phone. Tyler from Spartanburg. I thought, I thought to myself, oh, Dabo, don't, Dabo, oh, Dabo, don't go there. He reminded me of my younger self. Dabo did. He really reminded me of my younger self. That... Uh, he felt the need to tell his story too hard and for too long. And regardless of how sincere he was in talking to Tyler, no matter what he said, it, it may have felt one way on its way out of his mouth, but it landed it, it quite the wrong way for him. And it was going to land even worse for him the longer he went on. If a guy like Bob Bradley were still at Clemson today, or uh, let's say uh, Tim Beret, who's dear friends, I know with Dabo. Tim's one of the all-time best. Tim, Tim's a great guy, but he's working more with NBC now than he is with Clemson. <laughs> you know? I'm sure Tim would want to just take Dabo and bring him over and say, "Coach, just just say it. What you said made sense. Spend 30 seconds on it. Next caller, go ahead. You know, just don't, you know, don't pontificate and bloviate for two and a half to three minutes here." Okay, because all you're doing is fueling the fire that this whack job is delivering. And the, the point job, the, the point, the point on the, all of this is, Mike, um, we, we've got sports information directors that live in fear of the coach, who are scared to talk to us legitimately about what's going on with the team, for fear that the coach might find out. We got. You know, even this year, Saban pulled something with his depth chart that he never does. Okay. He, he did a Jim Harbaugh impersonation with his depth chart and then condemned the local media at Alabama, for Christ's sakes. You know, just bullying the local media. Well, you know, Nick's, you're better than that, Nick. Why do that? Okay. This is the power that comes from being the man on Mount Rushmore for so long. And I think Nick, Nick's a good man. I think Dabo's a great guy. Okay, but but they are under the gun and they're they're flying off the handle and they don't realize how what they say impacts and the way it lands sometimes. And in Dabo's case, he's trying to play the all shucks. Don't you know, I'm Bobby Bowden card. And that day is gone. That day has gone. You won't get by with that anymore. But the essence of his point, if he had just stayed the, the one point for 30 seconds, okay. I love what he, the point was, I don't believe the level of appreciation matches the level of expectation. And he's right about that. He's absolutely, Mike and JC, he's right about that. But when you go on for three and a half to four minutes about it, or whatever it was, it felt like five, it might've been two and a half, I don't know. But 
it was just, man, wow, this is not good. And in Dabo's case, he has been hard-headed about the portal. There's no getting around that. And Florida State's success in the portal has only made that look uh, more, more difficult for him. So, but the bigger point here is, yeah, the coaches are under the gun. The coaches are making so much money that they have so much more power in their world and they don't have anybody in their ear like a Bud Ford at Tennessee or a, a Claude Felton at Georgia. One of the last of, of that, of that era, by the way, the great Claude Felton. So glad he went into the Georgia hall of fame. One of the best there ever was Vince Dooley wouldn't do a press conference without talking to Claude first. He wouldn't. I mean, those guys had influence and impact over the coaches. Coaches now are surrounded with yes men, and their circle continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's why they're at odds so many times with those in the media. And when you're doing a live show where you're taking callers, you're really opening yourself up to that kind of thing. But uh, Spencer and I were talking about that this week. And I said, you know, Dabo, God bless him. He reminded me of the younger me because in the end, nobody really cares, Dabo, how hard you had to work or how much, uh, how little money you made in the beginning. They just see you now. Uh, and if I tell my story uh, without somebody asking me about it, people are going to say, yeah, 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 Brando, we know it all started on a thousand watt station in a cherry picker in Plaquemine, Louisiana. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody no. cares. Well, and the, the thing is that the money is greater than it's ever been. The yeah. social media exposure has, has yeah. changed the landscape of everything. And if I were to have to take one adjective to describe the <clears throat> mindset of coaches today, no matter how much money they're making and even the most successful ones, when we're around them, very often they're miserable. Yeah. The, what, what, what the portal and NIL have done, whether yeah. you're for it or not, doesn't matter. The right. impact on their jobs and their overall kind of status of mood mm -hmm. it, it, the 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 impact of that is it, it's almost indescribable yeah and so it's know, a different deal you know who's having a good time fellas that are coaching college football now the guys that spent time in the nfl and came back <clears throat> chip kelly looks at this entirely differently uh matt rule i just just saw matt for the first time at nebraska he's loving it okay because he found out in the NFL that he was not suited to that game and that he wasn't changing lives of people in that game, the way he could change lives in college football. Okay. Those guys that have been on the other end of it and, and have seen that they, they weren't necessarily good fits there. The job itself now is a little bit more like the NFL because the portal is a little bit like free agency. Who are you going to pick up? Who can you add to the mix? It's allowing some teams that know they can't get the players Kirby gets or Nick gets to possibly get them a year later out of the portal. Okay. So there's a, different ways to skin a cat, different ways to build your program up. And, uh, and I think we're going to see some examples of that, you know, in terms of teams that can win a national championship by virtue of it. Okay. It's not just about how well you were. Dab Dabo's been um, hardcore about staying away from it just as much as Kirby. And, uh, and, you know, Kirby's getting away with it for now. I don't know if it'll continue, but for now he is. I don't think his team is as good this year as people believe, but we'll see. But but Dabo needs to, as they say, take a dip in the portal. <laughs> he really I, needs I, to do that. 
Yeah, I'm pretty confident that's got that's got to happen. It would also yeah. help if he recruited a couple more generational quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson and yeah. Trevor Lawrence. They didn't, yeah. He didn't get those guys out of the portal. He recruited them, right. and for whatever reason, they're not getting those guys. They're not getting the wide receivers that they used to. Meanwhile, yeah. Kirby yeah. is is you know it's like Noah's Ark. He's got two of everything <laughs> at every three of every position. Yeah, three of everything. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Tim can't say enough. Uh, we always love the time. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten to know you personally over the years. And I can tell you, I always joke about the fact there are a lot of people that are the most uh, folksy on air that people think, oh, well, he's a great guy. And behind the scenes, they're, they're the complete opposite, as you and I both know. Uh, you are the real article, both uh, on the air and behind the scenes. And uh, again, we always cherish the time we have with you. Look forward to having you on again. It won't be as long a gap, hopefully, between your next uh, cameo here on JC and Morgan. Well, I'd be happy to do it. And if people don't know, JC, when I'm on the road and I'm somewhere lonely between Denver and, and Laramie, Wyoming, this, uh, this guy helps my, my, uh, my two-hour drive you know, with the, with the driver in the front, me in the back seat. He helps that drive go a lot faster for me. So, <laughs> that is the that. ultimate compliment. That is ultimate, the ultimate ultimate compliment. compliment. Uh, ultimate. Tim, oh, have a great call this week, and that should be a really exciting game. And uh, again, we look forward to having you on again soon. Take care, my friend. You got it, fellas. All the best. Thanks, Tim. Mike, JC, all the best. Yes, sir. See you. Same to you. Bye bye. Tim Brando, one of the best, uh, has been for a uh, long, long time joining us here on JC and Morgan. We are uh, over time. We are going to say goodbye, and uh, that's okay. It was well worth going. Over the time, our thanks again to Tim for joining us, our producer, Phil Molinax, having to juggle a lot today, but he's been on point. And uh, JC, always a pleasure okay, putting number 218 in the books. Your final farewell for today, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, always great to hear from Timmy B. Always like to just sit back and listen. Uh, the, the broadcast industry has always intrigued me. Uh, he's absolutely right about Claude Felton, too, back when I was a young writer in Gainesville, Georgia, the in best. 2003. He, the best guy I ever wanted to deal with. Can't say the same thing about the lady at Georgia Tech, who is now at Georgia State. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, when I was there, boy, uh, Georgia was really easy to work with. Uh-huh. And, and, I, and, I, and I do think Kirby's in good hands there. Just to, I mean, because Kirby's a dog from way back, and he knows Claude, and I think they work together fine. But anyway, that's my take on that. All right. Uh, Again, we are past due. We'll be back with you next week. Again, you can catch us on a variety of of platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and the video version on YouTube. Uh, You get to see JC's different visor every week and my stadium every week, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for all of you for uh, tuning in. We'll see you next time here on another installment of JC and Morgan. So long.